Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Dishes and Dimes. My name is Iman, and I'm joined by the very funny and very lovely Yasmin. Hey everyone. <laughs> it's a it's a small group today. It's just the two of us. Yeah, just two of us. There isn't a lot happening in the NBA right now, but there kind of is. Like we're we're just on the precipice of a lot of things happening in the NBA. So content is gonna turn up. <laughs> Yeah, but for right now, we we still want to bring attention to, and I know, I know every podcast is doing it, and I know that people are like, okay, we get the point, and they're signing the petitions, and they're protesting on the streets, and you're tuning in to listen to basketball. I get that, but these aren't conversations that need to die out. These are conversations that need to be gone going. These are conversations that we need to continue having, even if they make us uncomfortable, even if we get tired of having the same talks and so black lives matter (laughs) (laughs) um and if you have paid attention to any sort of photos that have come out you'll see players wearing it which i i don't know how you feel about it but to me it's a big step even if it's just for appearances sake because six years ago or four four years ago not six years ago in in 2016 Seven Streeter, who is a singer who was going to the Philadelphia 76ers to perform the national anthem, could not wear a shirt that said we matter on it. And so that's how far the league has come where performer could not wear a shirt that said we matter on it. And now the entire league is wearing Black Lives Matter shirts. What do you think about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it shows a step forward. I looked at that list of the pre-approved statements that players can wear on their t-shirts and jerseys. Oh my goodness. Like some of them, my favorite one was uh, group economics. (laughs) Very empty platitudes that aren't really like uh, making a statement of sorts. Like just, they're very, very obvious statements. Like if you think about it, like there's something so simple with Black Lives Matter, but it rubs people the wrong way regardless. So it'll be interesting if they allow any like actual statements for policy change or something like a defund the police phrase on warm up gear or something. I don't, I don't see it happening, but it, it's better than nothing. I guess it makes the players at least feel like they're being heard somewhat. Cause I know a lot of them are kind of grappling with whether they're making the correct decision and playing or not. And it's, it's something that's going to linger with them for the rest of their career. So um, if this is a way to make them feel kind of, empower them in a way I'm for it yeah I don't it's hard for me to say anything you know negative about that can I just say um group economics reminds me of that Marshawn Lynch quote from a few years ago where he was like I'm only here so I don't get fined like it's just like I'm only here so the rest of the NBA can also get this money (laughs) <laughs> I know the player that chooses that phrase to make with group economics, but that's all I think about is like you're literally only in this bubble for group economics right now. <laughs> um, the player that wears that shirt, ooh, that, that's that's all I need to know about them. <laughs> yeah, like I wonder who that is. I, I was also like I was interested in the list of words. I, I figured the NBA would do something like this. I didn't think it would be a list of words because this is a lot more restrictive than I thought it would be. I just thought. Yeah. When players put out something or chose something to wear, the NBA would give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. That was how I imagined it would be and what I think it should be because it's so limiting. Like, I don't I don't know. It's all for appearances sake. That's what we're doing here. But what wasn't what wasn't for appearances sake? This is. A hell of a segue, if you ask me. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, is what Lloyd Pierce uh, has done 
And it's not just him. It is the entire Atlanta Hawks organization, starting from their owner, who um, is using that arena, actually, to... um, What is the word I'm looking for? Oh, for voter registration, to get people in there to Mm -hmm. cast ballots and to vote. And I just think that that is incredibly impressive and something that's not just for appearance's sake and something that's actually going to make a difference. No, I love that. And it's it's especially interesting because I feel like the Hawks with the Knicks were like among the last organizations to release any statements. So to see the organization take that, that sort of initiative, despite the bad impression that they may have left in the beginning, was really cool to see. Yeah, because, I mean, Atlanta is a predominantly black city. Um, Mm -hmm. And we know that with voting laws in the states, they predominantly affect and impact black voters and um, voters in in poor neighborhoods. And that's no different than Canada. Um, That's no different than the way that we set up indigenous voting rights and and black voting rights right here as well. So for Tony Ressler, the owner of the Atlanta Hawks, for Lloyd Pierce and that entire organization to come through with that and really make it so other teams in the league, because the Milwaukee Bucks have stepped up, the Detroit Pistons have stepped up, and that's a way to really enact change. Exactly. Yeah. And especially like um, a lot of these like well-off people in general kind of like to push the go out and vote platitude, but like to actually see them making registration more accessible is really cool. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, what else is really cool? I'm, I'm all in with these segues right now, guys. <laughs> what else is really cool is, okay, so this is a segment that we had for a while. We dropped. It's back and it's better than ever. We have our first weekly dime that is a woman, which I can't believe it's taken this long. She is one of the greatest basketball players to have ever lived, has made a major impact on the WNBA, took Mm -hmm. time off, and is now making a major impact in the world. And that is Maya Moore. She's my weekly dime. I'm sure she's your weekly dime as well. Absolutely. It's amazing. Everything with her, like, I remember when when people first initially heard her um, hiatus from the NBA, people didn't really understand it. I feel like she, it, it seemed like it was more of a, I don't want to say meditation, but it seemed like she wanted time away to kind of search within. And oh, to yeah. Her. I thought it was for, like, I, I really thought it was more religious stuff. Yeah. And I, was just, like, it was, I was confused by it, too. I was like, you can be religious and play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But to see that, to like, now I completely understand what she meant. Like, she wanted to find a meaning. And for, for a lot of people, like, I guess playing the sport in of itself is fulfilling enough and that's perfectly fine. But there are going to be people who want to search for something beyond what they may have been doing since they were children. So to see her go out, become so attached to this, to this guy's story and actually help with his releasing process. Like it must've been so, I'm sure she knew of the case while she was in the the WNBA. Like that's amazing to think, like to think of this thing that you want to be a part of and then to see it come to a fruition and how she was just overtaken with emotion. She couldn't even stand up straight. She had to like get that down to her knees. Like I can't, oh God, I can't imagine. Yeah, it got to me. Like just watching yeah. that video just warmed my heart. And like, okay, I have her quote here. So she wrote this in the Players Tribune when she was um, taking a hiatus from the WNBA. She said, my focus in 2019 will not be on professional basketball, but will instead be on the people in my family, as well as on investing my time in some ministry dreams that have been stirring in my heart for years. And so I read ministry dreams and thought like, mm-hmm. going to be like a missionary? 
Mary? Like, is she going to become a minister? I don't know how those things work. I was really confused by it. But uh, like you said, she was like, my purpose is higher than this. And mm-hmm. I mean, clearly it's so much higher than that. To be Maya Moore, like think about that being at the top of your profession. Mm-hmm. This is someone who's a four-time WNBA champ, a former MVP, a former leading scorer, former leader in steals, like seven-time all-WNBA, six- or seven-time all-star. Like This is someone who is at the top of their career, mm-hmm. is the best player in basketball, and in their prime. She was 29 when she said this, was like, hey, guys, I'm going to go take a break so that I can focus on this man's case and on freeing him. And just a couple of days ago, he was free. Jonathan Irons is now a free man. And that video came out, which is like, I don't know, all of it is so beautiful to me. I just like, I'm so incredibly proud of her. And I just, I love it. I don't know what else to say. I really hope this sets some sort of precedent for modern, really, really famous athletes. Like, Mm -hmm. to take to, like, I know the whole normalized thing is like a meme on Twitter, <laughs> but we need to normalize uh, oh, no, professional no, basketball. It's a trend. Yeah, oh like, gosh. like we need to normalize them taking breaks, like to to find some sort of work outside of basketball if that's what they want to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure. Like I could totally see Kyrie doing something like that, like just getting a break from basketball to pursue something for a bit. Yeah. Uh, I wonder what that, what that would look like, but for her to get involved with social justice in that way, it just it reminded me of Muhammad Ali, like. That's the only other athlete that I can recall. Like, that's how crazy it is. And that's how abnormal what she did was. But Muhammad Ali is the only other athlete I can recall who took a break in the in the pinnacle of their prime um, to make some sort of uh, statement or to accomplish something unrelated to the sport. Like, that's insane. It's so like, not due to injury or anything, not due to the fact that, you know, they can't use their knees or something. But they are in their they were in their uh, late 20s, I believe really had a chance to kind of forge a legacy that could just be untouched for decades to come, but instead they choose to do something else or choose to make a statement of sorts. So it's so rare. It's so rare. That's why it's just extra appreciated. It very much is. I mean, she is dime of the year. Like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, like, how do you... It, how it, it's, not even, it's a loony at this point. She's basically a toonie. We, we put her at the highest coin that we can think of here. Um, <laughs> the great Maya Moore. We love and appreciate you here. Now, let's switch over on to basketball. I have a question for you. Go ahead. What do you think... Okay, so the Orlando bubble is happening. We're going to be talking about that loads in the next couple of weeks. But there's also talk of another bubble. The Chicago bubble? What do you think (laughs) about that? Where the eight teams who were not invited to participate in Orlando are now possibly, possibly, according to Jackie McMullen of ESPN, going to Chicago for for a play in there. What do you think about that? Um, I feel like everyone has thoughts in it, but like I, I kind of I'm on the side of the fact that this in its entirety should not be happening. They shouldn't be playing basketball, <laughs> whether in a bubble or not. So the idea of a second bubble just seems like a terrible idea to me, especially when there's no end goal in sight. Like they're they're not probably what are they gonna win. They're probably not gonna have yeah, like what is going on? Like if they're not gonna be brought to the original to the actual bubble, quote unquote, Ooh, it's not really a, a bubble. I have a question. What if team that wins it gets first pick? What if that's how it works? What if it's like wherever you finish in the seating, highest yeah. team gets highest pick in the draft? 
Uh, it would have to be something like that, or maybe like the team that wins gets like a some sort of relief in their cap or something like that. <laughs> then that um, wouldn't be fair for the teams that weren't. Yeah, like it's just it's out. You know, it's a strange situation. I could see it. They'd have to create some sort of something of value for them to win in the process. But, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, we don't want to see these bad teams play. It has nothing to do with it for me. Like, they, those teams have legitimate fan bases that enjoy watching them play even when they suck. You know, look at the Knicks. So <laughs> uh, the idea of having them playing there, like, sure, there will absolutely be viewership no, no matter what people say. But the whole the concept of having another bubble in a metropolitan area in, in, a, in the city of Chicago just seems like a ter- terrible seems, idea to me. It seems like a terrible idea for the players, too. Because, like, think about Avery Bradley, who is on a title contender, is taking a, is saying that he doesn't want to go. Davis yeah. Bertans, who has a legit shot, the Wizards have a legit shot at making the playoffs right now, yeah. does not want to be there. Bradley Beal is a toss-up. All these people are toss-ups. Damian Lillard said, if I don't have a chance at you know making the playoffs and, and competing for something, I don't want to be there. So okay, what would the players on the eight other teams, like, what would the incentive be for them to go into that bubble? Like, why should they say, yeah, I'm going to stay away from my family for X amount of days or X amount of months even, and I'm going to participate in this thing when there's zero chance that I win anything. There's zero chance that anything, I'm, I'm making money. <laughs> yeah, like, like, what as, is the purpose? Like, as a human being, you need some sort of incentive to keep you engaged, like in the midst yeah. of the grueling season, in the midst of a grueling playoff run. Like if there was no Larry O'Brien trophy at the end of this run, you think LeBron would be playing? No. Yeah. <laughs> like even like no one would no one would waste that chance. So, like and then you have to factor in the risk of injury. Like these guys could be harming themselves in the sense where their next season is just not possible. Um, and if that were to happen, and like what was it all isolated for? from everyone? Like I feel like now the talk Brian Windhorse is the first person that I heard say it, but I feel like now everyone's like, okay, so you're really expecting these NBA players to go without women for X amount of days. You know what I mean? Like, you're really just like asking these players to sacrifice so much of their lives yeah. um, to do this thing. And on one hand, it's for the Larry OB, which like, Yes, everyone is going to, you know, there are players who are willing to risk it all for Larry OB. But what are you giving these other teams? Like, what are the incentives? And not only that, but playing in Chicago, I doubt that they'll be afforded the resources and security that the top teams in the NBA got. Mm. Like, you know, the the teams that that are currently profitable and winning. Lockdown. But like Disney itself, that's like... That has security. Like, outside of whatever the NBA brings, like, apparently Disney's a no-fly zone. (laughs) Disney has Chicago's not a no-fly zone. They have federal security, state security, um, local police, all involved in protecting that area. They're taking the precautions they took for when Obama visited. But then you have, like, these other players from most likely smaller market teams um, being shoved into this uh, zone in Chicago, which I doubt would be, you know, afforded the same resources, like, to do the same thing. And it's so stupid. (laughs) I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, why? What is the point? Like, if you want that, if the whole idea is like, well, they need to get reps, they need to be with their team, blah, da, 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 da. Okay, well then, hey, Atlanta Hawks player, go to Atlanta and practice with your team there and hold training camp over there. (laughs) Hey, Detroit Pistons player, go to Detroit. Like, I don't understand why they all need to be in the same place when you can just safely do this in eight different markets. It just doesn't make any sense to me. 
Yeah, I think they 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 see the opportunity, I guess, for that they're missing out on viewership. So they're they're trying to like kind of uh, stunt their losses and you know get whatever monetary um, any sort of profit that they can make in this pro in this process. You know they'll take every measure, but yeah, this is just going to result in more positive tests, potential lost seasons from injured players. Like it's disastrous in every sense. Like at least, at least with the Orlando bubble, I'm like, okay, they don't want to waste a season. They want to at least feel as though they played for a reason. That's mm-hmm. millions of dollars in insured players out there. Like I get it, but for Chicago, absolutely not. Like that's just a terrible idea. <laughs> It makes no sense. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, speaking of things that were missed, something that we all... I, I, these, these segues, guys, they're killing me. <laughs> overrated. <laughs> segues are overrated anyways. Just <laughs> um, Keep us on our toes. I'm just imagining myself on a segue as I'm doing these. Um, <laughs> we, missed, we missed the opportunity to witness Vince Carter's last game ever. Yeah. Last professional game, at least, ever. And I'm actually, like, I'm really sad about that. And it didn't, it didn't hit until I listened to his podcast recently. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about how many people were, like, texting him and, like, messaging him, being like, hey, I got tickets to the game. He was like, it was people that I don't even know. And I'm like, wait, hold up. Wait a second. How do people you don't know have your phone number? How do I get it? How do I message you? Let's get you over <laughs> Like, let's figure something out. Was this supposed to be in Toronto? The last game? No, no, no. Toronto, it was right? last game in Toronto. Like, they were talking about his last game as a professional player, but then also they were talking about his last game in Toronto because for as many years as Chris, Chris Bosch, as as many years as Vince Carter has played, which is 22 years, the highlight was in Toronto. It was in his early years. So course, even yeah, when they were talking on the podcast, it was all just about Toronto. Aw. Um, is it yeah, worth listening to? I'm going to listen to it. I haven't yeah. listened to too many basketball podcasts, but... Yeah, another another vibe, but I I had to listen to the Vince Carter retiring podcast because he has meant so much to me as a Raptor fan. Like, I wouldn't be a Raptors fan if it weren't for Vince Carter. And to be honest, I don't think anyone right now would be because I I don't know that this team exists without him. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so I love Vince Carter, a huge Vince Carter fan. But, um, yeah, so they were talking about it, and he was just talking about how many people, like, and he was just thinking in his head, like, how are they going to fit all these people in the building? It seems like it's gonna be crazy and like um uh, just like really excited for a possible last game in toronto and how the send-off would have been and i'm pretty sure that was the rest the raptors um last game of the season was first game. okay like that would have been perfect oh my goodness oh so perfect you missed out um, on the ceremony that sucks it sucks. It sucks. Now, there are a lot of people who are really, really, really upset about Vince Carter. And I, I think that, like, here at Dishes, we should probably do, like, a longer Vince Carter episode. We're going to have some time. We're going to have another, you know, off-season come up soon. Mm-hmm. And there's just a lot that we can talk about with, like, you know, lots of diehard Vince Carter fans. Um, so I don't want to go too deep into this, but I just, I think... Raptor fans should just like get over it. That's my take. Like a lot, a lot has been lost. This is a lost season, you know. But I feel like Vince has been low key on a send off for a couple years now. Yeah. (laughs) Like we thought he was going to retire how many times now? But yeah, like I love how transparent he's been about the whole process of potentially leaving basketball very soon. Like when I was listening to his podcast during the season, he was very, he was an open book about that. How. Mm 
how he realized he's not he was not an NBA player anymore. Like he said that um, he came to the realization when he wasn't like willing to put in the work over the summer. Like eventually yeah. you just reach the point of exhaustion yeah. where you kind of lose that flame. Or I guess you're, I don't know if it's like your body slowing down to the performance of your, like your brain as a basketball player or. So that 2004, 2005 season with Toronto Raptors, is that what he was referencing? Or Sorry? I was saying that 2004, <laughs> 2005 season with the Raptors, is that what he's referencing? Getting. Um, or was it 2004? Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> but yeah, he was just talking about how he kind of, he was losing that fire. And mm-hmm. that's when you realize, like when you're, when you can't put in the work anymore that you're not an NBA player. So it was just, it, it was so cool. Like to see, I hope that's like the norm for the future, especially like leaving M- the NBA in the age of social media and the age of just digital globalization. It's, I feel like players can leave the league and still be very much interactive with the fans and whatnot. Like, it's not like they go into retirement and vanish for 20 years until there's like a reunion ceremony with their team or something. Yeah. So I have a feeling we're going to be seeing a lot of Vince Carter. Whether yeah, it's- I mean, like, we hear about this Boston Celtic. Like, we hear from KG, right? Oh, like, not Ray Allen, but like Rondo and Pierce every day about that team. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I would love to see him get involved in Raptors broadcasts every now and again. I think mm. that would be really cool. I don't do you think that's going to be something that I think there needs to be like a real, is the word reckoning? Like there needs to be this real moment between Vince Carter and Vince Carter fans. And I think one happened a couple of years ago. Like I think around yeah. the 20th anniversary of the team. Yeah. I think there needs to be another one. Like there are still a lot of salty Raptor fans for oh, him yeah. to go on like TSN or Sports Center. Like, they aired Wince Carter. Like, I remember just being a kid. And if you Google Wince Carter, I Google YouTube Wince Carter. I used to watch that video all the time just to get myself re-angry at Vince as a kid. I was like a 10-year-old. Um, I used to be like, oh, Wince Carter. So I, I just, I think there still needs to be something. As as a diehard Raptor fan, I absolutely mm-hmm. love Vince Carter. And so I'm really sad to see him go, but I think there needs to be that before he can he can be the Mo Pete Nelvin Williams or whatever. Uh, absolutely. I think they're gonna have to do some sort of like Canadian produced documentary <laughs> about his time here. Like I mean like a really yeah. in-depth we get the dirty details, we get past coaching assistance, like everything. I wanna know all of it because it's a drama that I don't get tired of. Can you imagine if that if that occurred during this age? Like, oh my god, were, like it would have played out similarly to Kyrie in Boston. We would have heard every detail. Except this was the team that drafted him yeah. as a kid, you know? So it's, it's even like, it's even more dramatic than that one, which is hard to imagine. Yeah, we would have heard every detail. I remember, okay, so this <clears> would have been around the time that I think like fans started to come around on Vince Carter and it was Tim and Sid episode where they had Vince on and every so often before the Raptors got good mm-hmm. um, they would do the what ifs, right? Like every time you speak with Vince or T-Mac, you have to do a what ifs episode. And so they were doing kind of the what ifs and they were talking about the Vince Carter trade. And then Vince said that like a day before he was traded, he went to Sam Mitchell and told Sam Mitchell, who's the head coach of the Raptors at the time, that he actually wanted to stay with the Raptors and he didn't want to be traded. And this is a day before he was traded. And Sam Mitchell, being a new coach at the time, being yeah. a rookie head coach with the Raptors, at least, just didn't didn't want to go to ownership. So he, you know, went up the ladder and went to the general manager who was, of course, Rob Babcock, and told Rob this. And Rob was like, well, too late. I have a verbal deal. 
Which, oh, if you're God. a Raptors fan, you know that there's no such thing as a verbal deal because if that were the case, Jose Calderon would be a Charlotte Hornets at one point or another. Chandler <laughs> would have been a Toronto Raptor, but that's not the way things work. Michael Jordan reneged on his verbal deal with the Raptors, and the Raptors could have reneged with the New Jersey Nets. But of course, Rob Babcock decided, no, no, no. You know, his his team of Eric and Aaron Williams was just too good to pass up. So he ended up trading Vince. And I remember that story coming out. And this would have come out over a decade after the Vince trade and being like, what? Like, like my mind was blown as I was listening to, to Tim and Sid and their minds were blown. And then the next day they had Sam Mitchell on and they asked him and he was like, yeah. I, I went to Rob. I didn't go to ownership because I was new. And I, you know, you have to follow the chain of command. And so I went to Rob and I told him and he still traded Vince. <laughs> I'm like, what? When your star player, when your star player says that they do not want to be traded, you do not trade them for nickels. Like, even if you think, okay, the relationship has been severed and we cannot keep you, you still don't trade them for nickels. You go and you find a better deal. Yeah. <laughs> this is just, terrible (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna be thinking about that all day day now I've been thinking about it for the last five years so you know join yeah like all the stories about um him calling out plays to opposing teams like all of the The all of those like there would have been footage on it leaked onto YouTube or something (laughs) look it up guys look it up it's been like a decade since i've looked it up i don't know if it's still there but it's like that that's on it that's like probably number seven or something (laughs) so anyways moving to current days (laughs) present day (laughs) present day florida where are the raptors what county was it what county is what sorry that the Raptors were staying in. Oh, I, I don't, don't remember. I, don't, I, don't, I know nothing about U.S. geography. Like I'm terrible. But anyways, Americans don't know anything about U.S. geography. Some, I, like I would be removed from the podcast if I admitted some of the things I did not understand about U.S. geography. <laughs> anyway, it's embarrassing. We should do that. We should have like a U.S. geography quiz. Oh my god. Okay. Oh. I will say I had to turn like 11 before I realized like Utah was not a city. Like I just thought every basketball team played in a city. It was like that. I thought Boston was a state until embarrassing. (laughs) Like I'm not even going to see when I realized it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Like it took me to like middle school until I was like, oh, Utah's not a city. Okay. So why why, why is it the Utah Jazz? What happened there? Indiana's not. Indiana's what? Is it a city? Is it a state? It took me, it took me till grade. Oh, I have too many stories of that. But anyways, <laughs> as I was saying, the Raptors are now in Florida, quarantined, um, not in the bubble yet, but they're staying there. Apparently, someone said that it's a place that Nick Nurse has a home. So I guess that's why they had a connection to it. I was always wondering why this area in Florida. But anyways, I see here I, the Raptors travel to Naples, Florida, where they'll use Florida Gulf Coast University's Alaco Arena. Yeah, it's like an un there the build apparently the ho- the hotel that they're at is uninhabited like it's just them which is like oh, scary. That's like <laughs> my dream as a kid after watching Eloise at the Plaza. Oh, or like extreme games of Manhunt. Yeah. <laughs> <throughout> the- <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh. That would be. Like come up with a segment where it's like best things the Raptors can do in an uninhabited hotel. Yeah, oh, definitely. Um Oh, we could do that now. <laughs> <laughs> Go. What's your first? Because I'm like, um, yeah, like, like, like I'm just like going off. 
major game of manhunt was my first uh or yeah. or hide and seek like hide really seek. intense say, like manhunt or hide and seek like can you imagine so- who do you think would be best at a game of hide and seek Probably Chris Boucher. He can hide behind like a lamp or something. <laughs> I was gonna say he's too tall. Like, who do you think can find everybody though? I feel like Kyle. I feel like you Kyle. He's really competitive. I feel like Kyle would just be the most competitive. He's, like, like, it's he's just the only one with like night vision goggles. <laughs> <laughs> and Marcus will just be like on in the patio, like drinking a coffee, like yeah, not yeah. even paying attention to the children. <laughs> First one found. <laughs> but anyways <laughs> i'm like the opposite of your segues i just lose my train of thought immediately yeah, like playing like freeze tag or something i'm sorry i'm just like i'm going off like i just imagine like tapping someone and they're frozen in an elevator and now they like are stuck it's just they're just games that you can play guys so this many dream of mine so many but anyways yeah it's it's weird because at, at first i was worried that they're in florida so early but i actually like the idea of them being at one facility all together with nobody else like i feel like that's probably the safest way they can stay right now but anyways you heard um the the from the media scrum yesterday the zoom scrum well i think it was chris middleton initially uh, earlier in the day mentioned that he had not literally touched the basketball f- since lockdown mm-hmm and people were shocked. People were roasting him after that. Oh, and then moments later, Pascal said um, the same thing, that he, he's barely played any basketball in, like, three months. And I'm thinking that's, like, if that's the case for the star players... What um, is it going to be everybody else? I feel like that's the case for a lot of non-superstar players. Like, unless yeah. you're, like, a top seven guy who has the funds to have uh, several courts in your home or... Or live um, in a market where maybe you can have a house. Like, most of these guys live in cities. Like, I'm all for slandering Chris Middleton. Like, all of the Chris Middleton slander you guys can come up with, I love it. Like, please send it my way. (laughs) my day. (laughs) Having said that, most of these guys live in condos. They live in cities, and so they don't have houses. They have condos, and if they're adhering to proper rules they're not using their condo gym their condo gym is most likely closed to the public yeah. right now so what do you want them to do where do you yeah. want them to play basketball yeah not like for a lot of them still living on their rookie contracts rookie yeah. extensions which are rarely enough to afford like a huge yeah. mansion in the city you play in especially even if you live in these metropolitan cities do, even the ones who make a lot of money like a lot of them still like Serge Ibaka makes enough money to live in a house in Toronto, oh yeah oh like, yeah of Toronto but he still lives in a condo we see that from his videos that he posts yeah. you know yeah um, but yeah so it was it was interesting seeing that like I wonder how it's going to affect their play but honestly mm-hmm. I feel like they have a month for shoot around right now I feel like they can regain their flow um, but getting into in-game shape, though, those first first eight reseeding games are going to be really ugly for the entire league. Oh, yeah. I feel like even the first round of the playoffs, luckily, if the Raptors stay in the 2-3 zone, they'll oh. likely be facing either the Nets or the, or the Pacers without uh, Oladipo. So I feel like they'll be fine. Um, but that first round and the rest of the games um, prior to you know the second round of the playoffs before the conference finals, I feel like those will be really tough to watch. Yeah. But, like, has it been so long for us that we're just, like, ugly basketball is great? Like, do we have to go through the reps before we can recognize what good basketball looks like? <laughs> I feel like we put anything I'm just like, yeah, yeah, this is great. 
I've been watching more clips. I've, I've been watching more clips lately, though. As we like, kind of zero in. Like, I went a long time without looking at any Raptors clips. Oh, but recently, I've seen a couple um, and rewatched a couple like Terrence Davis highlights and stuff. Oh, and then yeah. I'm like, okay, so I, oh, and they had a replay of the Mavs game um, where they were down thirty. Uh, I like clocked in for the that's, fourth quarter of that that's game so funny we've literally switched because i was watching terrence davis like when you said terrence davis I was like yep but that was me like back in april and i watched that dallas mavericks raptors game like back in april oh. like, <laughs> we literally just switched where i was like i need basketball it's april and now i'm like it's july like this is my time to like not focus on the nba no as we edge closer i'm like okay i have to look at what a good basketball looks like again <laughs> But anyways, yes, I believe that the Raptors play their first scrimmage game mm-hmm. uh, on the 24th. So I don't even know who they're facing, but that is going to be the first that. instance of Raptors basketball. And also, you mentioned this earlier, no sign of Kyle Lowry yet. So No sign of Kyle Lowry. Before we see a picture of him like or footage of him, should we just say, where's Kyle Lowry every podcast? Yeah, <laughs> that's really, yeah. literally we should be like, yeah, that's exactly how we should like start and end every podcast. Yeah. When like more than likely Kyle Lowry's chilling at home with his family, enjoying a nice, oh, absolutely, yeah. um, perfectly fine. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, hope we hope Kyle's okay. Yeah. So the NBA is coming back with the um, receding games, and of course, uh, I, I believe like half of the Raptors games, like four of them, are going to be aired nationally on ESPN and the first one will be uh Raptors versus Lakers so it'll be the first game the Raptors play and the first game the Lakers play so it's going to be no second game Lakers pretty play. Ep- really who are they, they like, playing before they, that we'll just play the Clippers on opening night oh of course oh that's yeah, gonna be yeah. Lakers Clippers opening night which like I'm so ready for that's gonna be epic oh I love that so the Raptors play the Lakers on their second game. Hopefully they are just like in like tattered, exhausted. <laughs> Kawhi has really worked them over well for us. <laughs> it's really not a back-to-back. Um, oh no. Yeah, no. They they open up on July 30th and then and then they play the Raptors on August 1st. So the Raptors don't have any games in July. They won't be playing until August 1st. Okay. Okay. Hopefully they get so worked by Kawhi and and two days of recovery. You know, they need multiple days of, of <laughs> and the Raptors are able to spring on them. So the Raptors have like an incredibly difficult schedule, which like is how do you feel today. about that? How do you feel about that? Like, does that like, on the one hand you're playing the twenty one best teams in the league? Like you're getting rid of all of the garbage teams anyway mm-hmm. on the other hand the nba could have thrown us a washington wizards here i'm just saying yeah. <laughs> i'm, I'm kind of torn about it because yeah i wish they had a couple uh easier games to really solidify their seating but at the same time i like the fact that they're against like super tough competition going into the playoffs so get the nuts, I, I get that idea if if they maintain the two seed i'm with you on that because yeah. the first round is going to be easy like Seven and eight in the East is just not anything to worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably, I would say, even like six to eight. Yeah, six isn't bad. You know because the Indiana Pacers, Victor Oladipo was the last person who said he's not going to come. But but the Pacers were still a tougher team, even without. And like my hope was really that the Pacers were in that four or five. Yeah. <laughs> I was just really hoping that the Pacers were in that four or five um, so that either the Heat or the Sixers fall to six. 
Um, but I can't hope for that if the Raptors are the three seeds. Like, I don't want any parts of that. If I feel Raptors like they would have to do really terrible on their remaining schedule in yeah, order to... that's the thing. I think they have enough of a buffer on the Boston Celtics where I'm not too worried on it. Yeah, yeah so um, they have their three games up on them, so they would have to, like, go really bad. Like, my guess for that for that run is, f- like, five to three losses. Well, that, you see, that, that three loss cannot be to, like, one of those losses cannot be to the Boston Celtics, who the Raptors exactly, play yeah. on August 7th. And that's because the Boston Celtics already are up 2-1. So the Raptors need that to at least even the season series and not lose um, tiebreaker. Yeah. Right? And because the, that's a huge one, because the Boston Celtics have the second easiest schedule. I know. <laughs> they play absolute garbage. They could literally probably even sweep this. Like, it's actually embarrassing what they have so the Raptors need to go better like they need if they go five and three that's great but you better hope the Celtics have lost the game (laughs) or you better hope that one of those wins yeah one of those wins if they actually had their entire like last like 15 games to play um the Raptors actually had like one of the easiest remaining schedules in the NBA but because they kind of took a snapshot of their eight most immediate games of the season which were against the the toughest chunk so I believe it got more tough for the Celtics if they had like their last last games but um this segment for them is really easy so it's gonna be a tough one but yeah like I I, I'm glad that game that we all have to circle like that's the one where if you lose the two seed it's because you lost this game yeah because I, I think like if five and three like that to me means losses to the Lakers the Bucks, and then you would have to essentially like I like I'm hoping not the Celtics so I'm going to say the Sixers basically or yeah. even the, Heat, like, the Raptors can't seem to whatever for whatever reason beat the Heat and like maybe you want to beat the Heat because you don't want them to fall to a lower seed like maybe you want to lose against the Heat like that's a good one to lose, <laughs> essentially because oh they're like oh my god that would give their fans too, min- too much uh, uh, ammo <laughs> you're just like I'm, I'm down to like lose to the Heat just to be like yeah make sure you don't fall into that range like stay in that 4-5 buddy um, and then um, and then beat the the Sixers Beat the Sixers. Yeah. For the and, and what's what's weird about this Raptors team is that they could very well go eight and zero. Like they're that unpredictable. Yeah. Like that that win streak or anything. Like it it showed me that honestly anything is possible for this team, especially like now with the vets on the team rested. Like I'm very mm-hmm. very interested because my biggest thing when it came to Kyle is his like level of exertion that he had to really get into because of all of the injuries with the team. So yeah. I, I had this fear that he would burn out. Yeah. Before. before. Exactly. Yeah. So I had like deja vu. So the fact that he's now so rested, I'm sure his back is in perfect condition right now, but like, and also not only for him, but for Mark as well, like who had played a solid year of basketball, like to have yep. that few months rest, like that's basically hit what was supposed to be his summer break last time. Yeah, that he spent playing for the Spanish national team. So I, I'm so excited to see that. I I'm I feel so like I'm over Mark. I'm like so excited to see Mark. I think he'll be he'll be better than the season because I his think so too. Thing, Do you remember how good he was to he start was so off good. last year? His main thing was that he kind of lost his legs during the season, which yeah, oh. which would get way better after he'd take a couple weeks off for like the hamstring injury. Not even during the season, he didn't have legs to start the year, right? Yeah. He, oh, was he was terrible that first run down, and the start of I'm pretty sure his numbers he was amazing. Like the start of 
the start of 2018-2019 season, he mm-hmm. was the best player on the Memphis Grizzlies. And yes, they were a terrible team to end the year. But in that beginning chunk, they were actually a good team. And they were a surprise team because Marcus Gasol was like averaging 15 points a game, which sounds insane if you remember any stretch of Marcus Gasol this yeah. year. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, I, I really think he has like a really good run left in him because his yeah. issue that I saw wasn't deterioration from age. It was just an exhausted guy who didn't get his couple months off. Like, I, I'm not expecting 15 points per game from Marcus Gasol, but if we can get 10 points a game with excellent defense and the continued, you know, long-range long range shooting that he can do for the team, like, the team is good then. Oh, and for Larry, you just want him to be able to take those hits like he's been doing for years. Yeah. I'm so, like, also just, like, obviously so excited for Larry. Like, I think the 2015 playoffs is exactly that, where his body broke down. Because yeah. that was the year that DeMar DeRozan had that groin injury. So he just took on a brunt of the offensive load and the Raptors were amazing for that part of the year I think they were like 24 and 6 if memory serves me correct and then January hit and Kyle Lowry was a complete shell of himself and it was very clear that he just couldn't take on that much of the offensive load for the entirety of the year so him having this break in between Mm -hmm. um, could really do wonders for him yeah, and I think he's going to want to really perform for his value um, as a player, like mm-hmm. to show that he's worth that extra $30 million extension mm-hmm. that he got. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm sure we're going to receive like an amazing performance from him. Yeah. Um, so many guys really, have so many things to, per, uh, to prove. Like if you oh, think yeah. about it, Fred oh, yeah. is going to be a free agent and he's got a – like the, bag all remember, like the bag is right there. Like I'm staring, I'm sure he's staring at it. Like he just needs to go and secure it uh, real quick. But if you remember like the first half of last year's playoffs, he was absolutely abysmal. And then the second half of last year's playoffs, he was the hero. So he's got to come out and show that like he can replicate that. Or he for can every player. Um, Gasol's playing for a contract. Serge yep. is playing for a contract. Exactly. Pascal just signed, just inked his max deal. He wants he to show that he can be that guy. Yeah. yeah, like if he if he like falls flat on his face, which I don't think he will, but if he does, like that would have huge implications for the value of his contract. So mm-hmm. I, there, there's and something on it. moving forward, right? Because yeah, Masai is gonna look at that, and I'm sure you know figure out how to how to fix the Raptors if Pascal can't be the number one guy. Like he's got a lot to prove this year. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to say the least. <laughs> and Norm, Norm's got to show us that you oh. know he hasn't disappeared <laughs> on us. This we're just we were just talking about this earlier where there's like a <laughs> tangible incentive for for players like they need that in order to give it their all but the, mm-hmm. and there's plenty of that on the Raptors like if you have a guy yeah. who's on the first year of a max deal he has nothing to prove he's a kid in this league it's hard to find that fire and that you need in a playoff series mm-hmm. but I feel like the Raptors have that like by the truckload like they're good <laughs> we also what? have something to discuss that we we promised that we'd talk about which was um, the Fred versus Norman Powell comparison that has been kind of brewing for uh, the entirety of the season where, because Fred has been so tremendous. And so has Norm. Norm has like Norm for me. He's, he's like, um, you know, when you have a record that's like scratched (laughs) and when there's something wrong with it, every time the, every time it skips to that area of the CD, um, it would skip (laughs) (laughs) to our age. Sorry. There are like there's a segment of the people who listen to this that are like what? Yeah, see when you have a CD and there's a scratch, <laughs> on it, 
Every time it hits that TV, it skips over. So it sounds like a broken record. Yeah. Whenever Norm would like drive and lose the ball, I feel like I was having a stroke because I swear (laughs) I saw this story before. But now it's as if you took your CD to the HMV and had it smoothed out. Buffed a little. Now there's no scratching. There's no, everything just makes sense and flows. And that's how I feel about Norm. That's so funny because that's literally how I feel about Fred. Where I'm like, every time I see him drive and I'm like, Fred, my love, you are a foot shorter than everyone in the paint right now. What did you think you were going to do? Like, what what circus shot did you think you were going to get over Joel Embiid right now? What did you expect to happen here? And just, like, the continuous just, like, Fred putting his head down. And I'm just like, buddy. I do not roll your eyes if you're a coach. Like, I'd be so frustrated. I I can't roll my – I don't know. I wouldn't roll my eyes if I was a coach. I would literally have an aneurysm. Like, I would – it frustrates me to no end to watch him do that. And then there are, like, the moments where it goes in and you're just like, I don't know. I don't know how. But, like, the confidence that you have to continuously put your head down and drive is something that should be bottled and sold to the masses because it's amazing. <laughs> just pure grit. Um, we're, <laughs> we're seeing with Norm where he's put the pieces together. And he's, like, the most overlooked talent, I feel like, in the NBA. I could, like, firmly say that. Because not only it, I'm not talking about a hidden gem. Norman Powell's stats look like the stats of a borderline all-star shooting guard. Like just on paper, his numbers are ridiculous. Him. You know what I mean? I was talking to like one of my best. biggest, my biggest fear, and I think I've spoken to you about this too. Was just when looking at the Raptors and comparing them to the Boston Celtics or any of these other teams. It's like, okay, who is that wing scorer? Who is that creator yeah. that the Raptors can go to? And someone was like Norm. And I was like, I am cringing because this could be the most beautiful thing in the world or it could be the most awful thing in the world. And I think you're talking about like, we really should be looking at him as that guy this year because he's kind of proven that he he is, which just sounds doing it all season. He's been doing it all season where he's that explosive wing scorer that can score from anywhere on the court. Mm -hmm. And if you need him, if your team is lacking, he, he, he couples that skill with like so much energy that he has yep. the energy of a spark plug bench player, but he he has it now in like the body of a borderline all star. Like that versatility to oh to be goodness. able to be a role player, to be able and I'm not calling him a star by any means, but oh, to be able God. to be like Norm, we need you to be a cutter right now. Like that's what your job is. Versus Norm, here's the ball, go create something for yourself. And for him to be able to do both of those things and just like be on the bench and be this guy that the Raptors have is actually incredible. And I say this knowing full well that the playoffs can come and Norm could be the worst player on the Raptors. Like I very am well aware that we can get anything out of him. Yeah. If he if he proves during this playoff run, if he proves that this is the norm that's here to stay, this is the guy that you have to pay soon. If he proves that, then I will just accept the fact that this is like norm from now on. I want to. Like I want to so badly. There's no player I want to love more. Yeah, I need that though. I need that playoff run for me to understand it, like to fully accept it. But anyways, in comparison to Fred, who had a similar arc, you know, you know, his Raptors story mm-hmm. uh, is very similar to Norm's, except mm-hmm. Fred, I feel like Fred, I was just saying this to you earlier, where I feel like he has his reputation was a little different amongst fans because yeah. he was the undrafted mini Kalo you know, when he came into the team. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we were, we were willing to overlook some of his inadequacies 
and just accept we didn't that. Expect as much he's, MBA, he's already overachieving. Look at him. Yeah. He's an actual MBA it's, player. It's amazing. And like, this is a test, like to say that they both kind of have this similar career arcs is really just a testament to Masai Ujiri, who like, we can look at Terrence Davis, who has a similar career arc. Like there's so many of these guys that Masai just happens to find. But yeah. I think to your point is Fred is undersized and he was kind of this afterthought on the on the team. He was a third string point guard, right? Whereas mm-hmm. Norman Powell became a star in the playoffs for the team because of what he was able to do against the Indiana Pacers that year. And so he made a name for himself. And we all were just like, Norm's got next. Like he's the guy that we're looking to to be like the future of his team. And then your expectations. Yeah. The expectations were too high for him. Whereas for Fred, the expectations were low. So even though he underperformed last season, I don't think anyone was really killing him as much, even though he had a really good rookie year. He had a very good rookie year. Mm -hmm. He underperformed in his sophomore season, and I don't think he got killed uh, for it nearly as much as Norm did because our expectations for Norm were higher. He was supposed to be a starter. He wasn't supposed to be coming off the bench, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So um, now we had the question throughout the entirety of the season where we were like, who's going to start at the two-guard spot? And this is Fred, and all the numbers indicate that that lineup with the mini backcourt is like the one of the best backcourt lineups in the NBA period, uh, and that that was the case last year too. But it seems that so many of the lineup issues, you know, with the lack of bench creation, can be solved by just swapping their places. <laughs> like I feel wow. like I'm beating a dead horse, but I feel like Norm, Norm has proven that his level of play now is not based on whether he starts or comes off the bench. Cause I remember before if Norm was starting his, he was ridiculous. Like he was playing like, I, I, I can't, I don't even have like a player comp for him. I feel like he, I feel like he has more versatility than buddy healed, but isn't as good as a shooter. Like, I, I don't even know a good player to compare him to maybe. Hmm. I like the buddy healed one. Norm is a fantastic three point. What is buddy healed? Like 40 no, buddy healed. Buddy healed is like, he, he shoots just as well as Buddy, but I feel like Buddy Healed is like dangerous. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Norm is still a 40% shooter with a really diverse profile. Like he can do off the dribble, he can come off screens now this season. Like he's not just catch and shoot at all. Yeah. But he's actually like a better finisher than a far better finisher than much Buddy. better. Which is why I think he should be when you talk about that undersized Raptors starting court, uh starting front, uh backcourt, I'm just like, okay, well, to me, like maybe this is just like a more traditional view of what the rotation should look like. But Norm is a better finisher than both Lowry and Fred Van Vliet, partly because he's just larger than them. Yeah. Um, he doesn't need the ball as much as, well, I, Lowry's great playing off ball, but I think you can kind of fit in a more traditional lineup instead of playing Lowry 40 minutes a night because the minutes that Fred Van Vliet doesn't sit, the Raptors need a ball handler. Instead yeah. of doing that, why don't you just you know, stagger the lineup of your point guards <laughs> and then put Norm in there who doesn't need the ball. So you don't have to, you know, you're not taking anything away by having him play. And then he's also a better, he's also a better finisher and he's a good floor spacer. So it's not like you're losing too much there either. Yeah, they have, they have so many options. And I feel like starting Fred was an issue of playing to his ego, not even in a bad way. Because mm-hmm. he's a great player who needs to know that he's valued, and that's mm-hmm. I guess that that was a way of the organization showing him that, like they mm-hmm. want him to be a point guard in the future of this team. But if I don't know, like if Kyle Lowry is playing at the level that he is 
and doesn't look like he's slowing down anytime soon. If Norm takes another step and shows us that he's that wing scorer in the playoffs, mm-hmm. I feel like Fred's outlook, like his future on the team, is kind of complicated, especially if another team uh, involves themselves in the negotiation process. Like, I, I think so like maybe making him, yeah, maybe making him start um, kind of hurts you in the end. Um, but it helps, like Fred, and I'm all for Fred securing the bag, right? You know, oh, yeah. It, oh, yeah. But, but I also think. To me, it's like if we want to see Fred Van Vliet be the starting point guard of this team moving forward, which I'm not sold on, by the way. I'm not sold on the fact that like he can be that starting point guard for the team. I don't know that playing him alongside Kyle Lowry makes your point, right? Like it's like if you really want to see what he looks like being the commander of an offense, then put him with the backcourt and let's see. Yeah, like don't put him next to one of the best point guards in the NBA. (laughs) Anyone's numbers next to Kyle Lowry will look amazing. Exactly. (laughs) So you're not not doing like I'm not learning anything about what Fred Van Vliet can be like as a starting point guard if he's playing alongside Kyle Lowry. And if we're taking last season and maybe it's unfair to take his last season, he was Ter- the bench, the Raptors bench was really bad last season. And yeah. part of that did fall on Fred Van Vliet not really being a great offensive general and just not being that guy. And maybe he like maybe he fits as more of a two than a than a traditional one. And maybe yeah. you want to put the ball in Pascal's hands moving forward. Whatever it is, I'm just not sold on him being the starting point guard. And I don't think pairing him alongside Kyle Lowry makes a point uh either for or against him. It yeah. just doesn't do anything. But yeah, there are a lot of implications of this playoff run. And I was just talking to someone about this recently where there's no team in the NBA whose future is as, I don't know how to describe it, like mobile <laughs> as the Raptors. Like mm-hmm. their future is, it can take so many different routes. Mm-hmm. The only sure thing is Pascal Siakam. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like everyone else is just a question mark. Like they're it's, it's the Raptors and the New York Knicks, but for completely different reasons. Sorry? Oh, yeah. It's the Raptors yeah. and the New York Knicks, but for completely different reasons. But, like, for the Raptors, the, because everyone knows that whatever decision Masai makes is going ultimately going to be for the benefit of the team. But it's also, mm-hmm. like, what decision is that going to be, Masai? Because he has options. And I'm sure he, he relishes that. He's just wanted – that's all he's wanted on this team, just choices. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for the longest time, this team was Brian Colangelo's team that Masai Ujiri was trying to make work. Like, up until the championship, like, even that was, and I'm not going to, I don't think that Brian Colangelo deserves credit for that team at all because Masai Ujiri ripped away everything that was bad about it and kept Kyle Lowry, which was (laughs) the right spot. Oh, my God. But but in all honesty, it was really, it was trying to make this Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, Jonas Valanciunas, trio work that's what Masai Ujiri had been tasked with for the this longest time and he was really patient Uh in trying to find a way to make it work and right now he's at the point where he doesn't need to use that blueprint like that and even with the Kawhi Leonard like that was still Jonas Valanciunas started that year that was still very much yeah trying to make Kyle Lowry Jonas Valanciunas and DeMar DeRozan work and Kawhi Leonard just replaced DeMar DeRozan that's all it was their games are very similar except for of course you know we're not going to talk about the defensive end and him being more efficient yada 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 their games are very similar it was kind of a plug and play there so Uh This is like the first time that we get to see Masai Ujiri have his own vision of what he wants a team yeah. to really and I, I Honestly, I have an idea of it. I feel like I think the, in the future, 
Messiah envisions for the Giannis? is is that what I heard? Yes, that's <laughs> but I feel like his future for the team is more wing players, mm-hmm. like just a wing player, a mobile huge guy that mm-hmm. can play any position. I feel like he has a positionless basketball uh, vision. Mm-hmm. So it, it just, uh, that whole thing of retaining Fred even gets more complicated and interesting. That was a lot of ways to say Giannis. Like I just kept hearing Giannis, <laughs> like every time it was just like mobile, <laughs> Giannis. If you do get Giannis and you have Giannis, Pascal, and OG in your front court, then Fred oh makes. Oh my like, God! That just got so excited hearing that. Bam! How are you doing? Do you want to play the five here? <laughs> because when you when you think about that, Fred becomes far more viable. Like a guy like him, like he doesn't even need to run the offense. He just needs he to can just be a three point shooter, which yeah, is and a ball handler. Which yeah. is both. He's he's an excellent yeah. ball handler and an excellent three point shooter. So Fred would be the per- like that's the thing. Like if you are getting Giannis from me and you're pairing. Giannis Giannis with Pascal Siakam, and you're, of course, going to have everybody's love OG Ananobi in there. Yes, make Fred VanVleet the starting point guard. Like, I would love to see that team. I would yeah. love that team. And um, th- oh, we're going to end on that note. <laughs> oh, I feel like we have something to, like, chew on. Like, forget this season. Let's just all think about next year. Yeah, like, this we'll one's actually done <laughs> But anyways, thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll catch you guys next week on the Dimes Podcast.